You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine at University of Illinois Chicago, Dr. Jay Goldstein. Dr. Goldstein has served as an independent contractor, consultant, and is a member on the Speakers Bureau for Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America, Incorporated. He has also been the recipient of funding for research grants and educational grants from Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America, Incorporated. What are the newer treatments for colorectal cancer and pancreatic cancers? Joining us to discuss colorectal cancer and pancreatic cancer treatments is Dr. J. Randolph Heck, Director of the UCLA GI Oncology Program and Clinical Professor of Medicine in the Division of Hematology Oncology at the UCLA School of Medicine in Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Dr. Hecht. Nice to be here. Good. Let's start out. I understand that early stages of colorectal cancer are curable by excision, generally by polypectomy or removal of the tumor for stage 1 disease. But what happens to the unfortunate patients who are beyond stage one. What's new or different? Basically, what we're trying to do is to stratify patients better, patients who are potentially curable with surgery. The staging system that we use goes back to the 1920s, the TNM staging system. And while it definitely gives prognostic information, what we really lack is the ability to to say which patients are going to recur and which ones are not. So what we end up doing is either decide, we only have a kind of a binary decision either to treat someone with adjuvant therapy or not to treat them. So in stage two patients, patients where the tumor has gone through the wall but is not in the local lymph nodes, most people are not treated. And the benefits of treating everyone are probably fairly small, maybe a 4% improvement, maybe a little bit higher than that if you use multiple drugs, uh, but a 4% improvement in overall survival. One of the things that's come out recently has been ideas that we may be able to pick out those patients who are most likely to relapse. And there are a number of poor prognostic factors that have been examined, one of which is actually a quality control parameter, which is the number of lymph nodes looked at. If we're going to use lymph nodes as a way to stage people, if patients are not having their lymph nodes either removed by the surgeon or examined by the pathologist, then it really, you know, that person who you're calling stage two may not really be stage two. There are other high-risk factors such as perforation, obstruction, bad pathology that may also indicate those patients that are more likely to you know, to recur and may benefit from giving additional therapy. There are also trials that are currently underway looking at molecular markers such as microsatellite instability and loss of heterozygosity of 18Q that I think really is the way that we're going to be going to in the future. So rather than looking at pathological markers or histological markers, hopefully in the future we'll be able to actually take a piece of the tumor and look at the genetics of the tumor to try to decide whether the patient should be treated, and if so, how the patient should be treated. Can you give us any uh, examples where molecular markers are currently being used to tailor uh, better treatments or treatments with a better prognosis? You know, right now, 
Probably not. Those trials are underway. The closest thing that we have is microsat. There is some data using microsatellite instability. It's retrospective data that's been presented by Dan Sargent from the Mayo Clinic. They retrospectively looked at trials where their patients were either getting 5-FU or not getting 5-FU. So these are old studies. And patients who had microsatellite instability, actually, which is about 15% of colon cancers, appeared to do better which is that's been well known that these patients do better first stage. In fact, they did very well. And in fact, treating them with 5-FU alone actually seemed to make the outcome worse rather than better in that 15% of patients. But this is retrospective data and I don't think really is, is ready for routine use. So, you know, as we always say about the molecular revolution, we're on the cusp for just getting ready to use it. But there is a trial, the ECOG 5202 trial, which is being run by Al Benson from Northwestern, which may answer some of those questions. It is really stratifying stage two patients by molecular markers, and hopefully will give us an answer to that. This is only available by trial, is that correct? Well, no, you can actually get microsatellite instability testing, you know, clinically. 18Q loss of heterozygosity probably is a research tool. But in fact, at UCLA, all our patients actually, whether we, we ask for it or not, get microsatellite instability testing on the tumor. Of course, that's also a screening test looking for HNPCC. And talking with you now as an expert in oncologic therapies, what would you say is the most exciting change that you've seen in the past couple of years? First of all, the era between the late 90s to about 10 years to the mid-2000s, colon cancer was really the most exciting area in the treatment of, of solid malignancies. For almost 40 years, there was one drug for colon cancer, and that was 5-FU-5-fluorouracil, and people spent their entire careers trying to figure out different ways to give this drug. There were two chemotherapy drugs, irinotecan and oxaliplatin, that were approved in the late 90s into the early 2000s. And survival for people with metastatic disease significantly increased from with median survival ranging from roughly around a year to now at least two years. And in fact, the percentage of people who are alive at five years continues to increase and is, is felt to be about 10%. And these are people with incurable metastatic colon cancer. The other part that's become extremely interesting in the treatment has been the use of biological agents. And in fact, colon cancer really has sort of led the way in the use of biological agents with both major families with anti-angiogenesis drugs or anti, um, particularly anti-vascular endothelial growth factor drugs such as bevacizumab, also known as Avastin, which was shown to initially to improve survival and probably also improves progression-free survival even with modern therapies, as well as the antibodies to the epidermal growth factor receptor, such as cetuximab, known as Herbitux, or panitumumab, such as Vect- known as Vectabix. And those also have activity, though in probably a limited number of patients. The other place where things have really changed over the last few years has been in the recognition that some patients with, in fact, many patients, but, but, but at least some patients with metastatic disease may be potentially curable with surgery. And there's been an interaction between more effective chemotherapy treatments and the ability to get people to surgery, as well as the ability of surgeons to cut out metastatic disease for cure. About five years ago or more, most patients, even with liver-only disease, would have been told that they had incurable disease 
and we're going to end up dying from their colon cancer, though chemotherapy treatment may prolong their life. And now we've become extremely aggressive in taking out metastases from patients' livers, which is the main place that we do metastasectomies. But also, it's been shown that lung metastases can also be removed as well for potential cure. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Jay Goldstein, and joining me today to discuss newer treatments of colorectal and pancreatic cancers is Dr. Jay Randolph-Hecht, Director of the UCLA GI Oncology Program and Clinical Professor of Medicine in the Division of Hematology and Oncology at the UCLA School of Medicine in Los Angeles, California. Well, you paint a very positive picture for the future in colorectal cancer. What about pancreatic cancer? What's new there? The situation is not as rosy in pancreatic cancer. In colon cancer, a lot of the trials that we're doing right now is to say, we have a number of different drugs. We, you know, we have to figure out which patients to use those particular drugs on and how to use them. Unfortunately, I can't really say any of that for patients with pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer is the fourth most common cause of cancer death in the United States. More people will die of pancreatic cancer this year then we'll die of prostate cancer. And so, unfortunately, we really have not made great strides in the treatment of pancreatic cancer. The number of new cases of pancreatic cancer is almost exactly the same as the number of deaths from pancreatic cancer. The surgery for pancreatic cancer has really been refined to a point that in good high-volume centers with good, well-trained surgeons, the morbidity, which was feared at one time from the Whipple procedure, and mortality is actually quite low, and those patients surgically are doing very well. The problem with pancreatic cancer is that by the time that it's diagnosed, it rarely is operable. The recent news reports about Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg having a very small tumor that was resected recently actually in some ways kind of bring that home because the only reason I'm certain that this patient had an early cancer found is because she has a history of colon cancer and was having follow-up scans for colon cancer, so an early cancer was found. In patients who do undergo surgery for pancreatic cancer, most of them, even though the surgeon comes out and says that you know, they have clean margins, there may or may not be local lymph nodes, there's no evidence of metastases, the majority of those patients still die from their cancer. And probably only 10% of patients are even vaguely eligible for surgery for pancreatic cancer. So to bring this together here for a second, I think the point you're making is that pancreatic cancers are generally diagnosed at later stages where they are not surgically amenable as compared to colon cancer. Is that correct? That's correct. Both because of where the pancreas is, because of the fact that the pancreas is next to the abdominal vasculature, which makes it often that it doesn't have to grow very large to be unresectable. And I think there's also a lot of biology speaking where pancreatic cancer is much more likely to spread. It metastasizes very early. So you can have a small pancreatic cancer and still have a patient with a large number of metastases, which makes the patient incurable. The other problem with pancreatic cancer is that the patients don't do particularly well. Now, we do have treatment for pancreatic cancer, and the treatment, really the backbone of our treatment is the drug gemcitabine, or GEMSAR, which was approved in the mid-90s. Now, in some ways, you can think of gemcitabine as being a targeted therapy in that there are some people who are helped. In fact, there are some people who are helped an awful lot, but 
it's hard to show that the majority of people are helped because the median survival for pancreatic cancer is still significantly less than a year. In fact, in some trials, it's for metastatic disease, it's still around six months. And most patients do not survive a year with metastatic pancreatic cancer. Is there a concept of shrinking and turning a non-resectable into a resectable patient? You know, in some ways, clinically, you can stage patients with pancreatic cancer to being either obviously resectable, and one of the advances in the treatment of pancreatic cancer, and in some ways this is almost a backhanded compliment, was the development of helical CT scanners, which allowed a preoperative um, identification of those people who were who were not going to be operable. So they did not have to undergo a fairly major surgery and only at the very end when they get to you know right to the to taking the tumor out discovering that the patient was was inoperable. So patients who are clearly operable should go to surgery. There is also data that's come out in the last couple of years that giving patients adjuvant therapy meaning in addition to surgery with gemcitabine does improve survival in that small group of patients who are actually eligible for surgery. The largest group are patients who present with metastatic disease. In that group, as I mentioned, gemcitabine has been shown to be the drug of choice. It's FDA-approved. A biological agent, erlotinib or Tarceva, has been shown to help a minority of patients, but probably as a targeted therapy, it does help some patients. And the treatment of metastatic Pancreatic cancer has really been the graveyard of both adding additional chemotherapies and biological agents. I'd like to thank my guest from the UCLA School of Medicine, Dr. J. Randolph Heck. Randy, thank you very much for being our guest on this week's GI Insights. Oh, you're quite welcome. You have been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute, and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America, Incorporated. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA. Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is proud to sponsor this important and quality programming for ReachMD listeners. Takeda does not control the editorial content of this broadcast. The views expressed are solely those of the guests who are selected by the AGA Institute. Based in Deerfield, Illinois, Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is a wholly owned subsidiary of Takeda Pharmaceutical Company Limited, the largest pharmaceutical company in Japan. In the United States, Takeda markets products for diabetes, insomnia, wakefulness, and gastroenterology, and is developing products in the areas of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and other conditions. Takeda is committed to striving toward better health for individuals and progress in medicine by developing superior pharmaceutical products. To learn more about the company and its products, visit www.tpna.com.